Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for October 2018, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Wayne Kramer about his new memoir, The Hard Stuff, Dope, Crime, The MC5, and My Life of Impossibilities. This is the first book by Wayne Kramer, the legendary guitarist and co-founder of the quintessential Detroit proto-punk band, the MC5. Back in January of 1969, before the world heard a note of their music, the MC5 was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. The missing link between punk rock and free jazz, the MC5 were raw, primal, and when things were clicking, absolutely unstoppable. Featuring Wayne Kramer on guitar, the MC5 was a reflection of the times, exciting, sexy, violent, chaotic, and out of control, all but assuring their time in the spotlight would be short-lived. They toured the country, had a rabid following, their music acting as the soundtrack to the blue-collar youth movement springing up across the nation. Wayne Kramer wanted to redefine what a rock and roll group was capable of, and there was a power in reaching for that, but it was also a recipe for disaster, both personally and professionally. The band recorded three major label albums, but by 1972, it was all over. From the glory days of Detroit to the junk-sick streets of the East Village, from Key West to Nashville and sunny L.A., in and out of prison and on and off of drugs. Wayne Kramer is the classic journeyman narrative, but with a twist, he's still here to remind us that revolution is always an option. I began my interview with Wayne Kramer by asking him how long he spent writing his new memoir. Well, I probably started writing six or seven years ago. My friends had been uh, bugging me for years to to write it all down, um, but I always was stuck. You know, how would I end the book? Because I'm I'm nowhere near done. You know, working or or participating in real life, uh, and I didn't have an ending. Uh, but then uh, five years ago, my my son arrived. So you you have one life until you have kids, and then when you have kids, you start a whole new life. Right. And I thought, well, here's the perfect ending for the book. And and was it painful to to recount some of these the tough times in your life the the the, the highs and lows of the career with, that you had with the MC five was it more of a cathartic thing where it felt better to get it all down on paper what was the experience like it, it kind of runs the whole the entire gamut you know it, it's not binary it's not one or the other it's all of it together and. You know, there, there. Uh, I, I've done things I'm not proud of, but I, I felt it, it, it was it, it would be the, the proper thing to tell the truth about you know where I messed up and and the bad decisions I made and the bad behavior that I uh, exhibited. Um, and sometimes that you know was was painful. I mean, I had some great editors, and they would when we were working through the manuscript, and they'd say, well, this section right here, Wayne, you need to go deeper into that. You need to, you know, you need to to, to, uh, to figure out, you know, how you felt and what was happening to you. And some of that stuff, you know, uh, um, you know, you got you to look in the mirror and say, you know, who in the heck am I, you know, and, you know, what did I do and why did I do that and what was I feeling? 
and uh, that that stuff um, on occasion was uh, was was painful. Sure. How long did you live at the famous, or shall we say, infamous house on Hill Street in Ann Arbor that you write about? I think I lived there about a year. We we had moved out of Detroit. Um, Detroit had just gotten too dangerous for us. Um, the, between the her, constant harassment from the Detroit Police Department and uh, right wing saboteurs, we we drove up to our place one night after a gig, and the downstairs office was firebombed by the right wing extremists. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the, our, we had, the, our guitars had been ripped off a couple of times, and we just said, let's let's move up to to bucolic Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we, we would be safe. Um, and so we lived there on Hill Street uh, with Sinclair and all his people, the White Panthers, uh, for about a year until we got our own house out in, uh, in Hamburg, where they welcomed us with relish. Hmm. Your relationship, uh, you go into detail with, with John Sinclair, and it's quite complicated <laughs> it has been yeah. over the over the years um but it, from what you describe in your book you uh, have reconciled a long time ago you're you're still in touch you're still friends i hope we're in touch i just talked to him last week uh, he, he remains one of my dearest friends and uh, confidants and uh, yeah i mean you know relationships are complex and ours was particularly complex you know, we lived in a very uh, polarizing, highly charged time with uh, with forces at play that were way beyond our control. And we just held on by the skin of our teeth and, and tried to keep moving forward through it. And in the end, you know, our friendship was stronger and, and our understandings of each other is, is better than ever. I adore John. Wayne, I, I'm proud to say uh, I, I saw the MC5 perform uh, in, I believe it was July of 1970, when you uh, performed at Tartar Field at Wayne State University. And you write about that show as being one of the, uh, for the, the band, one of the final really great live moments before things started to uh, dissolve uh, into chaos. And it, it can be tough for me to, to tell uh, younger people how powerful your band was on stage and how enthralling it was to see you play. And it wasn't just the music, which completely blew me away, but you, you knew how to do a stage show. It wasn't just standing up there and performing. And uh, from, from what you write about in your book, it sounds like a, a film uh, from way back in the day, The Tammy Show, had a pretty big influence on you and the rest of the guys from the MC5 in terms of how to put on a, a stage presentation. Could you talk about The Tammy Show a little bit? Yeah, you can probably find it on Netflix or, or YouTube. Um, it was a filmed uh, music concert shot over two nights at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in, in Los Angeles. And uh, it just it featured some of the uh, greatest rock and roll artists of, of the day, uh, running you know, from the Motown artists, uh, the early rock and roll, Chuck Berry was in it, um, uh, you know, the Miracles, Leslie Gore, the, the first wave of the British invasion with the uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, and and uh, uh, and then uh, the, the high points, of course, being the performance of James Brown and the f- famous Flames with his, his big band and, and uh, 
just incredible performance that he had perfected over his years of of touring the Chitlin circuit and and developing this just mesmerizing live performance. And then on top of that, uh, it it climaxed by uh, one of the first American appearances of the Rolling Stones. Yes. And for me, it was it was the blueprint for my life. I said, this is where I want to. This is what I'm shooting for. I want to be able to capture that kind of excitement. I want to do that. What are, is there one moment, one show, one song, one album that you are most proud of? Not just with the MC5, but in, in your entire music career. If you had to point it to one thing, what, what would that be? Tough choice, I know. Yeah, the the, the last uh, album I put out. Four, I think it was four years ago now. It's called Lexington. It was with uh, Charles Moore, right? Yeah, it was uh, Wayne Kramer and the Lexington Arts Ensemble, which which featured um, Dr. Charles Moore uh, as my uh, co-writer and uh, uh, co-producer and, and uh, just great Detroit musicians, Phil Ranelin, uh, Bob Hurst, uh, Buzzy Jones, and then... Uh, some of the great uh, players that I work with in California, Doug Lunn, uh, Brock Avery, Eric Gardner, and this wonderful uh, jazz keyboard phenom, Tigran Hamasian, who's uh, well on his way to becoming a major star in, in jazz. Um, and I, the record, you know, I, 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 was, I got a job scoring a, a film for PBS on um, the... On America's first attempt to deal with addiction as a social problem, the film was called The Narcotic Farm, <clears throat> which was about the same facility that I served my prison term in. And as I was scoring the film, I thought, geez, I, you know, this is a jazz score, and I, I had these wonderful musicians, and I thought maybe I could reimagine some of these cues as uh, in song form, and I could make a, a record while I was at it to be able to kind of express what the prison sentence meant to me in my first language, which is music. So I'm, I'm very proud of it. And it actually went to number six in the jazz charts, which was a shock. <laughs> I have a connection uh, with, with Charles Moore. I started my radio career at WDETFM, the national public radio station in Detroit. And I got my start as the host of a late night show called Dimension. And that show was started by Charles Moore, way, way back in the day in the late 1970s, from what I understand. I did some research and it was like, lo and behold, this cool trumpet player who's on the MC5 album. Oh my God, this guy started this radio program. I had no idea. So yeah, what an incredible artist. Um, yeah, he sure was. He, he was you know, my teacher and mentor and, and dear friend for 40 years. What's the status of the documentary, A True Testimonial? I'd read recently that things might get ironed out and might come out. Is that true or not true? Uh, you know, I don't know. Okay. We're, we're talking with the, uh, with the distributors of the film. Um, you know, we settled our disagreements with them 10 years ago. Huh. So we're not, uh, I'm not blocking the movie. I'm not uh, stopping anyone's progress. So uh, you know, I, I would. I have no problem with uh, with the film being released, and uh, you know, people getting a chance to see it. I never did have a problem with the movie. My problem was always with the filmmakers. 
Looking forward to be backing, uh, be back in Detroit a little bit later uh, this year. MC, I can't believe it's fifty years. This is this is ridiculous. <laughs> I can't. This is, I feel you, Martin. It's, I feel you. It's scary, Wayne. Oh my God! I was just playing a, a song from the reissue of Anthem of the Sun by the Grateful Dead. I remember buying that album fifty years ago. This can't. This can't be true. Hey, but we're still here. We're still uh, alive and kicking. But your thoughts about coming back to Detroit a little bit later this year? This is going to be exciting. Listen, I always love playing in Detroit. Uh, and to come back, you know, on the weekend of Halloween, the exact time of the year that we recorded this record 50 years ago and, and play the right, what we're doing is we're playing the whole album live. Wow. Um, and then we'll take a little break and we'll come back and play a handful of songs from the other albums. Um, but yeah, to come back and play it in Detroit, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a, uh, uh, a momentous uh, evening for me personally. I, I, I hope other people um, find it significant, but I know that it'll be very meaningful. For mm. me. the, cat, the cats I've got on the band are all, you know, just world-class players and, and really good brothers, good people to be with, who all have their own connection to the music of the MC5, apart from their relationship with me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> work out way that everybody on the band came up on the music of the MC5. So they all have their, their own personal reasons for, for playing these shows with me. And uh, it really makes for a, a potent uh, combination. The guys are playing great. The, the band sounds, the MC5 never sounded this good. <laughs> oh, wow. I can't wait. Anything you do differently in your life, Wayne? No, of course not. You know, sometimes the worst things that I, I've done become my greatest gifts because they allow me to relate to other people that are going through the same kind of changes. You know, I can say the one thing that nobody else can say. I know how you feel. I did that, too. Yeah, yeah, well said. I love you, brother. I'm glad you're still with us. Congratulations. It's really an honor to talk to you again, especially on the day that the book is out. I just devoured this in a single gulp yesterday. I got a, a print copy yesterday and stayed up real, real late so I could plow wow. through it. God, it's just, it's, uh, it's, I put it down and looked at my wife and just said, God, honey, this is the fact that this guy's still alive and, and has written something so compelling is, is really a beautiful thing. So, Thank, thank you for your music. Thanks for this book. And we'll see you a little bit down the road, Wayne. Martin, thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, I really appreciate it. That means extra coming from a homeboy. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for October 2018. Our interview was with Wayne Kramer about his new memoir, The Hard Stuff, Dope, Crime, The MC5, and My Life of Impossibilities. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. (laughs) 